You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Oh man, Isabel Brown, how are you doing, my friend? It's great to see you. I am so excited to be here, Nathan. You and I have like been friends for a long time on the internet. Oddly enough, I know your wife kind of in person from Colorado lifestyle, so there you go. But I'm so excited to finally be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. What a world. It's great to have you. Yeah, I'm super pumped as well. Um, I think you're, you know, you're like the closest thing we've had to a celebrity here at Seeking Excellence, so it's great to. It's great Hush, to have you. No. I would have been surprised. You know, you were feeling bad about coming a few minutes late. I would have been surprised if you were on time. I can only imagine how busy your life is day to day. Um, so, yeah, super excited to talk with you today. But, you know, first, would love to um, – well, actually, you know what I was just thinking about before? This was – when we first got connected, I think, was in the um, Students for Life, like, ambassadors group. Do you remember that? Yep, I sure do. Yeah, that was such a rock star group. Uh, Anna Lewis put that together. She's been on the podcast before. Uh, great human being. But uh, She is the best, yeah, yes. She's a rock star. Uh, yeah, and just out getting after it. I love seeing, you know, <laughs> random videos where she's just like in the thick of it. You know, talk about somebody who's willing to go into the eye of the hurricane. Like Anna Lewis is that person, you know? Amen to that. Yeah. That is so true. We need more people like her. Absolutely. Well, you know, Isabel, I would love to kind of just start with people who might not know you, just kind of an introduction, like overview of your life, how you got to where you are today, and and any background you want to give on, on just who you are. Wow. Big question, <laughs> but luckily I do get asked it a lot, so that's fair. Uh, if you are not familiar with who I am, my name is Isabel Brown. I am an independent Gen Z full-time content creator, and I wear a zillion different hats on a day-by-day basis. Uh, but you may have noticed me on national television. I'm on Newsmax and Fox News and the radio a lot. I've been on the cover of Newsweek magazine, which actually you can see right behind me during the 2016 presidential election. And I largely work in the conservative, political, and pro-life space, but I'm really also branching out beyond that right now in the 2020s. So I work with Turning Point USA, which is America's fastest and largest, uh, fastest growing, that is, youth conservative organization in the United States of America. I host a series for them called Rent Free, which we will be launching next month, and I'm really excited about that. I've done a lot of work with Students for Life, as you just mentioned, as a senior ambassador, uh, doing some work in the digital space with them to change hearts and minds on the issue of abortion. I used to work with Dennis Prager over at PragerU, and I stream almost every single day on Getter, which as we all know and love is a new and very quickly growing social media platform. I'm also an author. I worked at the White House. I have my master's degree and all these weird science things. So I have a lot going on in my life, which is always very exciting. But I always love to tell people that really my job every day, if it's making a 15 second TikTok video or doing a podcast interview like this one, or going on the news early on a Wednesday morning, is really just to tell people the truth. That's what I get up every single day and I'm so blessed to do as a career uh, right now as a 25-year-old in America. And it's a very exciting time to be in the content creation and alternative media space. So all glory goes to God for sure, but I really do get to love my job every day. That's super cool. Yeah, it's so amazing. I thought you were only 24, which I was going to give you, you know, I was going to point out there at the end until you said your age at 25. And, you know, I used to feel good about what I had done by the time I was 25. But once you kind of go through where you're at, 
<laughs> at 25, I feel like, you know, I really slacked in my early 20s. So maybe I'll have to make the most no, no, of no. my <laughs> first five years of my 30s once that starts next year. But that's incredible. Yeah. Awesome story. And what's really funny is this, like, you kind of ruined my plan for the podcast, like 30 seconds before joining and then right before we started, because I never knew... At least I, I had always thought beforehand, and I don't know why I thought this or, or believed this, but I didn't think you were Catholic. And uh, I was reading your bio. I never read like your bio on your website, but I was reading through it. I was like, oh, she went to Mullen. I was like, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that she's Catholic. And then as always, we prayed before starting the podcast and you made the sign of the cross. And I'm like, oh my goodness, she's blowing my mind. I sure did. So I'm out here like, yeah, you know, thinking that was going to be like a big, not that I was going to debate you of Protestant versus Catholic, but (laughs) I I had some questions, you know, prepared for that. But tell us a little bit about your your faith journey, what it was like growing up and kind of where you're at now. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I am Catholic. I was raised in the Catholic Church. Uh, and my family was always pretty religious, but not the we have to be in the front row, in the front pew every Sunday morning for nine o'clock mass and constantly going to daily mass and wearing veils over our head. We were kind of just your average Catholic family growing up. Um, I moved a lot when I was a kid because my mom actually had a job in a different state. So we moved back and forth from Idaho and Colorado. And we lived in a very small community called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which you may or may not be familiar with. It's now kind of become the stomping grounds of celebrities outside of Hollywood. Unfortunately, they ruined the whole town, but that's okay. Um, I think when Justin Bieber bought a house there, we kind of all knew it was over for everybody (laughs) who's a local. But when I was growing up there, I attended a beautiful little Catholic school, Holy Family Catholic School, and other than that, attended secular private schools growing up. So my faith was always a big part of my childhood. And I think really came to a head for me in eighth grade throughout my confirmation experience. I think most young Catholics have very similar experiences where you kind of decide what that means for yourself as a young teenager coming into your own, into your own identity and what the church means to you. Uh, As you also mentioned, I attended Mullen High School in Denver, big Catholic football school, which we love to love to brag about in Denver, Colorado. Um, And really throughout all of high school, my faith was such an important part of my journey as well. Not everybody who attended my Catholic high school was Catholic. In Mm -hmm. fact, many of the people I grew up with and went to Catholic high school with ended up becoming atheists and walking away from the faith, but just as many people ended up leaning into it. Uh, Like many of the listeners of your podcast, I had a super formative experience through Kairos. If anybody knows what I'm talking about through that, it's kind of a Catholic retreat in high school that a lot of schools do. I ended up being a Kairos leader when I was a senior, and that really, for me, was the solidifying experience that this was a huge part of my identity and really what was the foundation of everything I wanted to do with my adult life. So no matter what I've been doing, when I was a pre med student in college before my life really pivoted all the way into what I'm doing now more in the public eye. Uh, My faith is the most important part about my identity and really sets the tone for everything else that I do. Yeah, that's awesome. And since I, you know, kind of bashed you there for a second for being Catholic, which is not, you know, my intention, um, but because of the podcast plan, I do want to just say that it does make, and I, I don't want this to sound uh, bad. And it's not bad against you. So I'm going to affirm you here, but uh, I don't want to sound bad though. It's Protestants. But I have noticed, and this is something I want to talk about with you, is, you know, there's the, the term rhino, right? Republican in name only. I think it's very interesting now in today's world, this, um, you know, it's, it's a challenging thing where as we, I, I think there's a lot of similarities between Catholics and Protestants in the way that Catholics, especially post-Vatican II, have tried to um, be Uh, more inclusive, if you will, towards Protestants. And I think we have a challenge in similar situation to a certain degree as Republicans and conservatives, where there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily conservatives who want to vote Republican now, right? And so one thing that's interesting and I really appreciate about you, and I think makes sense with you being Catholic, at least from my view and understanding of belief about Catholics, and obviously what our church teaches, is I've often said that you, amongst many other people, and I love a lot of people at TPUSA and at um, you know the Daily Wire and all these different organizations, right? But I have always appreciated that. I feel like you've always been very classy. And I think that you have been conservative. I think that you're, uh, you know, I think you have great, I don't, I'm not a big fashion guy. I know Emily loves your fashion. I think that you dress really (laughs) nice and you present yourself well, very feminine, but also um, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but you, uh, yeah, just classy. And I think you're very tasteful in the way that you present yourself as well, which isn't always the case with a lot of conservatives and um, conservative women and conservative men that just in, in multiple ways, right? It doesn't have to just be in the way that you dress, but I think there's lots of ways that we can you know, kind of claim to be conservative, then not actually <laughs> present ourselves or live our lives conservatively. Does that make sense? 
Totally. And I actually think that carries back over into the church quite a bit, Catholic or Protestant in America today. I think a huge piece of content creation and outside of our screens, the conversation that we're having that's missing from the next generation today that we're really craving more than anything else is authenticity. It's that what you see is what you get, classy, put together, you know, this is who I am mentality that we have just been missing for so long inside the church, inside of politics, on our screens, off our screens. Uh, And so I'm really excited to be intentionally working towards that as a creator to be as authentic as I can be on and off screen. But I'm also seeing a huge resurgence of that with Generation Z, my generation. And I'm just so filled with a renewed sense of hope because of that, uh, Mm -hmm. that we have a really unique opportunity to change so many hearts and minds and lead people towards truth at the end of the day, because people are willing to be authentic in the best versions of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Modesty was what I was looking for. I think you're just very modest. And I think modesty gets a bad rap and can often think of like, you know, grandmothers like you have to dress like a grandmother or you have to be like you know ankle skirts and things like that but I think you do a great job of that so I just wanted to point that out because I've talked about other I've talked about you to other people who have pointed that out and talked about that as well and so I wanted to give you that feedback since I first criticized you for being Catholic and me not knowing <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know well, thank you, but, Nathan. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So on that note, though, let's talk about that. So tell me like you obviously work with a ton of Protestants and and, and all of that do you like, what's kind of your perspective on, do you ever bring that up? Like, do you get in debates with a lot of Protestants? Like, do you ever go, like, kind of Protestant Catholic stuff? And what's that like for you? Totally. Although more often than not, I'm debating with people who don't have a foundation of faith at all. So I try mm-hmm. not to get so nuanced in the weeds of the difference between a Presbyterian and a Lutheran and a Catholic and a Mormon and all of those things. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that just gets so complicated for people. I think more often than not, the struggle that we're experiencing culturally right now is just defining what it means to follow Jesus Christ in America today. And honestly, the vast majority of people inside the church, Catholic or Protestant, can't really explain that for themselves or their own congregations and the people they gather with every Sunday morning, let alone to the many, many people, the record number of people, in fact, uh, in America who are deciding to walk away from faith or not identify in any way, shape, or form with a religious foundation. So I think that's really the baseline conversation I engage in more often than Mm -hmm. not. I know a lot of other people make a lot more content and have conversations more specifically tailored to the Catholic versus Protestant conversation, Uh, but I'm really taking it upon myself to just set Gen Z on the path towards truth, whatever that looks like. And that could include a religious foundation, that can include what's going on in a more secular sense, uh, but really just walking towards objective truth in any way that we can and being that top of the funnel of the conversations and content there on the internet by just getting Gen Z to get to a point that they can ask the right questions to end up answering all of those questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so it's super cool to me to see uh, you know, I think just all of us have different callings and different strengths and different things that we're meant to do, you know, and I think it's so awesome to see your ability to to be in that place, right? And you get to have all these great conversations. And I think that w- one thing that I hope that, that the listeners of the podcast will start to understand and what I try to form them in is to understand that, like, it it's very good what you're doing, right? And like, there are certain people who are called to be the the tipping point for Protestants to become Catholic or for, you know non-religious people to just kind of like take an openness or like create an openness to faith, right? Like we're all kind of at different parts and different journeys and fighting different battles. And I think it's really important for people to see that um, not every single one of us has to play every single role, right? And you don't have to be this combative person arguing with your coworkers every day about why they need to go to confession, right? Like, No, you don't. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so beautiful to see. So I think that's great. So now let's talk about the kind of like conservative side of that. So how do you kind of approach or like, have you had any conversations either with friends or, you know, just within the conservative movement, have you encountered like any difficult conversations or had to like try to challenge people to like hold them accountable when it comes to like living a, a more conservative, like one thousand percent, Nathan. <laughs> yes. This is actually something that really recently has kind of come to a head for me more than in the rest of my career in the last few years. So I'm finding that interesting that this is somewhat a new concept that I'm having to deal with. Um, I will be honest, I'm kind of an anomaly inside of the political space in that I really am an independent thinker. I don't really like to go with the flow. I don't like to pander to the base or whatever that means. I just like to be honest about the things that I believe in and what I'm seeing and provide my own commentary on the subject. And that doesn't always make me a lot of friends. 
sense. Sometimes I have mm. stupid arguments over TikTok or weird, you know, generational cultural things that are going on in America that even conservatives vehemently disagree with me on. Uh, but I think ultimately really centers back to this idea that we live in a free society. And what does that mean? That means you have the freedom to make the best choices for your life and your own circumstances. And that looks different for so many people. But what I love about that and why I'm a conservative, spoiler alert, uh, at the end of the day is because I believe that our system of governance and our system of political jurisdiction in America should mirror the relationship that we have with God as much as humanly possible. God loves us so much that he knows exactly what's good for us at the end of the day. We have a blueprint for what that looks like through both the Bible and the Catechism of the Church, but he also loves us enough to give us the free will to choose whether or not to follow that on our own. And ultimately, I think that our governance structure in a free country, be it America or anywhere else around the world, should mirror that as much as possible, where we have a moral code for society. We have a set of standards that we all collectively agree to live by because we know that's going to give us the best chance for success, but that's not strictly enforced at the other end of a gun being held to your head from the government, right? Like, you know what is good for you, but you still have the freedom to make those choices to begin with. A lot of conservatives don't agree with me on that subject. And I'm hearing a lot of conversations from people about why we need more authoritarianism and why we need more mm -hmm. government structure to enforce our morals in society. And I actually think that would be a really huge mistake because in reality, that's not mirroring the structure of a relationship that we have with God. If we really love people then we want to preserve their freedom and we want to preserve their liberty and help guide them towards the best choices possible. Uh, but I think fascinatingly, the church, Catholic and otherwise, has dropped the ball on that responsibility throughout our lifetime in the United States. And so you're starting to see other groups rise to the occasion to be the moral authority in society. Maybe it's, you know, a conservative political organization or movement. Maybe it's drag queen story hour at your local library of what's setting the moral tone for your society. Uh, and I think we have a lot of back and forth to figure out in terms of where we end up next from there. Yeah. Wow. I think there's two things that really stuck out to me. I think one is, I think I would have never guessed you would make a correlation between our relationship with God and the relationship with the government. <laughs> you know, I think there's an interesting point there. I'm, I'm really curious to think more about that on my own um, because I think that what do you? I, I guess you know, there's two things I think could be misinterpreted from that that I don't think uh, I don't think you mean, and I want to ask you to, to clarify that. So, yeah. one is obviously um, I think oftentimes we to make more sense of it can explain socialism or progressivism as turning the government into God. But I think what you're saying is mm -hmm. is not that obviously we turn the government into God, but rather that we should mirror what, I, and I think what it does wrong as well is it's a misinterpreted relationship with God that progressives totally. are looking at and then trying to make the government in place of God, as opposed to what you're saying is basically not duplicate, but make it as comparable as possible with the true relationship that we have with our creator that gives us free will yeah. and gives us the guidelines you know, interestingly, that we need to thrive. Progressivism in and of itself, and socialism obviously is bred from that. I obviously hate socialism. I'm extremely <laughs> anti-socialist. So that gives you a little indication of how I feel politically. Uh, that really acts like God is government and government is God. That ultimately your extreme authority that you always have to bend down to is that of the government and our public governing entities in the United States or anywhere else that you live. I actually think it's set up to make you think that way, but in reality is rooted in the God of self. Everything about progressivism is rooted in I am the God over my own life. Mm. There are no consequences to my action. I am the determining moral authority over what is good and what is bad. You know, you hear my truth is different from your truth all the time from people on the progressive left. Uh, and that's why you're getting to a point in society where we literally aren't even blinking twice when pedophiles are included in the LGBTQ acronym or when kids are learning about sex in kindergarten or you have sex summer camps to send kids to in the United States of America this last summer. How we got there is insane to me, but I think it's because we've kept honoring this concept of God of self replicated en masse to an entire demographic of people in this United States who think that it's actually the God of government. But in reality, you're just indulging the God of self over and over again. So there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, we could literally spend like 12 <laughs> hours talking about that. Uh, but ultimately, I think the most compassionate way to exhibit 
freedom and flourishing in society is to mirror that love that God has for us from how our government is related to us, right? You want to maximize human liberty and freedom as much as humanly possible and still provide a framework for how society can can survive and thrive and continue passing on uh, strong values to the next generation. But so much of that has to start with personal responsibility and not public governance structure. And I think that's what we're really missing in society today. Yeah, I love it. And so a lot of that does sound pretty libertarian. Do you consider yourself libertarian or where do you kind of... I consider myself a bit conservatarian, <laughs> if you will, kind of a blend of the two. Um, I certainly do have more conservative social views than most libertarians, but I would right. say I'm a bit more libertarian than a lot of conservatives I work with every day. So that's what I mean by saying I'm an anomaly. I don't make a lot of friends because I do kind of stand out here on this island on my own, but I don't mind it. Yeah, I love it. Well, we're happy to be your, your friends here at Denver. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, and obviously there's, I think, something like you talked about, you know, kind of your conservative values, like you would draw the line in the pro-life movement, right? Like you do have your limits. So where do you kind of, totally. where do you kind of draw that line on on giving that that good framework from the government without overreaching or doing what you feel like would be overreaching on personal freedom? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a great baseline to start, and obviously this is a very nuanced conversation. My yeah. parents are both lawyers, so I grew up all the time being told, it depends, is the best <laughs> answer for everything, right? That's what lawyers do. Uh, so it's a very nuanced conversation, but I think a great place to start is drawing the line when it starts to harm another human being. And that's a very clear delineation that we've really existed within the framework of in the United States since our nation's founding. Basically maximize human freedom until it starts impeding on the life, liberty, or property of somebody else or pursuit of happiness as well. So would you be, would you vote in favor of like legalizing all drugs? Ah, oh, here we go. This is a good one. We're really getting in here, I'm Nathan. To go deep, you uh, know? I'm from Colorado, as I mentioned. You live in Colorado as well, sure so do. you know uh, we were the first state to legalize marijuana. And I remember this happened when I was a sophomore in high school because I was taking AP U.S. government, and I decided to write my final research paper on the legal implications of all of this happening mm. because nobody had ever seen it before in the United States, and kind of just predicting what would end up happening, how we would enforce that, how we would not enforce it, where do we see a lot of issues come about. And I remember doing the research then as a 15 year old with how many policy implications that would have in harming other people mm -hmm. in the state of Colorado. For example, it's illegal to be high and go skiing or it's illegal to be high and go snowboarding or be on a bike or whatever. And that's something that we experience every single day in the winter in Colorado. That happens all the time. But because you're in an impaired state that could harm another human being, you can't be high and drive. You can't do all of these things, right? Uh, and so as much as I want to say, like, as long as you're in your own house, great, that's awesome. The reality is you're not. And that does have larger societal implications. So you're starting to see cities like Portland that did just legalize recreational use of every single drug ever. So there's quite literally legal meth in Portland, Oregon, and legal heroin in Portland, Oregon. I wish I could make that up, but I'm not. And of course, that has larger societal implications. So I'm not personally in favor of that. I know conservatives who are, and I know libertarians who aren't. So I think there's so much nuance here, and we like to put people in very strict political camps. You know, we've been taught since we were two years old that we live in a two-party system, United States. These people are over here, and these people are over here, and everybody agrees on the same things within those two columns. I actually think Generation Z is going to shatter the two-party system very, very soon, within the next 10 to 15 years, because we don't really fit in those two columns anymore. Maybe four might make more sense, but even beyond that, I ultimately think there's just so much nuance on an issue-by-issue -issue basis that the two parties that are in charge of everybody all the time can't adequately represent what that looks like for the American people anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I would imagine at least something that comes to mind, if you know, if you just broke it into four, I think you'd have some, <laughs> at least the small percentage of somewhat moderate Democrats that still exist would probably break off into their own. And then you'd also have kind <laughs> yeah. of what we mentioned earlier of the uh, you know, Republicans who aren't really conservative, uh, probably forming their own type of party as well, mm -hmm. which would be kind of more of like a classical liberal uh, party, which, yeah. yeah, which would be interesting, too. But in regards to that, like, what is kind of your approach to um, or like belief in that? I know some people are just kind of like burn it down, like, you know, reject people who are, are not actually conservative, who are claiming to be conservative. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's so many parallels there between the the uh, the faith life, you know, when we talk about Catholics and Protestants, I've been talking a lot recently about um, 
yeah, the kind of evaluation and shift from Vatican II when it comes to um, EENS is the abbreviation, so like extra ecclesium, nuns, I can't remember the, the S, what it is, but basically outside the church there is no salvation, right? And like what that means and how Vatican II semi-shifted our perspective on that, especially on um, Protestants who were, you know, basically saying that Protestants who were born 400 years after the Protestant Reformation are not the same as those who like broke away from the church, right? Um, and looking at them yeah. differently. Um, and obviously there's a lot of goodness in the Protestant churches. And I think that that's what we have to... There's a potential there that that's what we should do, too, within the conservative movement. But then it's like at some point, though, with these people who are like, <laughs> you know, thinking they're conservatives but aren't and yeah. and have like the seeds of truth. Like, how do you start to bridge that and and try to like really bring them fully into the fold? Because ultimately, as you and I believe, right, like politics, like this isn't the end of it, right? Like there's no point in us like regaining and that's what I think a lot of people miss and that's what makes me almost more in that like burn it down like push the you know not conservative republicans out is that there's no point in regaining the country and all of us losing our souls right like sainthood and yep. like reaching heaven is is the the ultimate goal so how do you I just said a million things I don't know if any of it made sense but <laughs> Tell me what you it actually about totally it. did. And what's really interesting is I actually just had this conversation the other day with my friends at the pool wow. at our apartment complex. We were talking about the Catholic versus Protestant thing and the Reformation, like yeah. all of it and how that translated to politics. So that's so interesting that you're asking me this question right now. Um, I think ultimately most conservatives, whether you consider yourself to be staunchly capital C conservative or more Republican era conservative, are putting our faith in the wrong concept. Mm. As much as we like to say we serve God first and then government, it's really hard to put that into action. And most people end up dealing with and putting their investment of time, resources, and energy into what's right in front of them. And that's what you engage with every single day. It's what you can tangibly touch. That for most people ends up being where most of their time is invested. And I don't blame them for that. That's just human nature. That's just reality of that. Um, and so that's why I think you're starting to see even within the staunchly capital C conservative group of people, this rhetoric of we are going to save America. We're going to save the country. We're going to save our systems of governance. We're going to save the world as conservative yep. Americans. And in reality, we can't do that. That's the hard reality that nobody wants to talk about. Human beings cannot save America. Human beings cannot save the world. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And I know that sounds so doom and gloom and people are like, oh, shoot, what am I doing every day? <laughs> Knocking on doors and posting on the internet then. That's not a doom and gloom death sentence for a call to action. That should make you feel so empowered and like you had this huge weight lifted off your shoulders because it doesn't come down to you, right? Ultimately, yeah. all these questions of the nuances between what's a Republican and a conservative and what happens when our government becomes completely corrupt corrupt and goes rogue and goes over people's lives. These are all important questions that we should be focusing on, but ultimately are so secondary to life everlasting. And that's ultimately what we should be completely focused on and always have our eyes looking towards the heavens on because that is infinitely more important than all of the silly nuanced conversations that we have on this topic every day. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think it's been so interesting for me and I think I really started to see it in like 2019 was like in my own life when I really started to come across this, like we're saving the country and uh, you know, the, you know, more QAnon leading people who were like, Donald Trump is literally like the King David of our time. <laughs> like, oh yeah. The anointed one. And I just like, it's so, it's so hard to, and it makes it so difficult. And I'm sure it's why so many young people get lost in the, in all of this noise. Right. Because on one side you have, the the left and the media saying that Trump is literally Satan reincarnate, right? Literally the Antichrist, <laughs> literally Satan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the right, you have like the extreme right and the QAnon people saying like, no, like he is Jesus. Like you are you are wrong. He, he is like the chosen one. And it's like maybe like somewhere in the middle, he's like a flawed person who's like doing his best to to lead the country, you know? Like, and God raises up flawed people absolutely. to do the will of God all the time. I mean, that's the story of the Bible. You just yeah. mentioned King David. That is so true. That happens all the time. But you're right. We do get extremely <laughs> hyperbolic on both sides. And I think we just rush to make sense of everything that's going on in the world by putting things into labels that we understand. It's why our society is so hyper-focused on labels all the time. Mm -hmm. We look at somebody and say, oh, you're a white Christian male. 
you're a conservative MAGA hat wearing middle American farmer. I mean, we, we literally like to label everything. Human beings are so much more complicated than that. Even just labeling someone as a conservative versus a liberal is an extremely nuanced conversation because not everybody is going to agree on the same bullet point list of every single issue under the sun, no matter how much we try to categorize things that way. Uh, and so I think Absolutely. with Generation Z, there's a really unique opportunity right now because we are an inherently skeptical generation with how we were raised and everything that was happening in the world throughout our childhood and now coming into adulthood to say it's not that simple and to have really in-depth philosophically challenging and interesting conversations with this generation uh, that ultimately will be more about the more important things than who's running for Congress and who's Speaker of the House and, you know, all of these things that we think are the end-all be-all of the world, but really are not all that important in the grand scheme of things. Right. And it is another great, you know, yet another kind of parallel, I think, between the church and politics is that we as humans just like always want to be in what, what, like we always want to think of ourselves as living in the most important time in world history, right? And I think that you see that with the criticism of Pope Francis, which you know I do my fair mm -hmm. criticizing of Pope Francis, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve <laughs> any of it, but I think, True. You, yeah, you know, <laughs> but you hear it all the time on both sides, in, in the you know on the right in the in politics and in the church. It's like this is the worst time to ever live. And I, I always love this story from one of my friends' uh, bachelor party. We were here, we were actually at Breckenridge, right? And it was like the last day. We were all about to go back. There's only like five of us left, and we were at lunch. And one of his friends was is a Democrat, or I don't even think he's a Democrat. I think he's a Republican, but hated Trump. He like bought into like the hate Trump, you know, rhetoric. And he was like, Trump is literally the most divisive president of all time. And he was like, well, there was that president that like started the Civil War, <laughs> you know? You're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. We just forget uh. about all this stuff that's happened in our country when, yeah, and just in the country. And it's crazy that we think we forget about the stuff that happened in our country that made times worse, you know, in the last 300 years. But it's like... It, the church has had 2,000 years of just some ratchetness, you know, like this is far from the worst so true. to be alive. You know, I actually, I interviewed Kirk Cameron this morning on my show for Turning Point USA. The episode will come out later. But we were having this exact conversation about understanding and building for immediacy versus eternity and how we're very bad at that as Americans inside and outside the church. And he actually blamed it on the church. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was fascinating how he had categorized that. And I'd never heard someone explain it that way, but it's such a cultural value difference between societies like Rome, where if you go to Rome, you walk around and they'll tell you that building over there was built in 200 BC and your jaw hits the floor and you're like, what? Like, how is that even possible? And their entire concept of society and cultural institutions, buildings or metaphorically, was built for eternity. It was values that outstood the test of time because ultimately it was more important than the immediacy of needing to live in the most important time right now in our own eyes. In America, we live in this instant gratification everything happens on my own timetable. Like we are always in control. I guess that goes back to God of self concept right. where I don't think we can always see the longevity perspective of eternity. I mean, for Lord's sake, Amazon won't even make you wait two days now. You can get something <laughs> right. for free in an hour yeah. now with your Amazon Prime account. And so I think we just have such a hard time getting to a vantage point of understanding the overall story of how God is using something for good that we do trick ourselves into thinking, all right, the rapture's coming on Tuesday. Yeah. I read, you know, Revelation and yeah. I know it's happening yep. because this is the craziest time in the world. It, it's really not. And history is very cyclical. That could happen on Tuesday, but it also could happen millions of years from now. We have right. no idea. And so I think ultimately just <laughs> focusing on your faith, your relationship with God and living every single day in truth it takes away so much of that pressure of needing to save America or save the world or save our society from the end times today, because that's not our job. Ultimately, our job is to just get up every day and spread the truth and spread the love of the gospel and get people to know about Jesus Christ. And that's it. It's very simple. Absolutely. That's great. I love it. And obviously, you know, the Lord told us in the gospels that we would be hated. And I think that you have an exceptional ability to be hated and continue to live your life. So I want to talk <laughs> about that a little bit. So, you know, in reading your bio, and I obviously knew this about your story beforehand, but take us back to your college days of, you know, when you first oh, encountered yeah. just some madness and how you go about just generally your kind of philosophy of sharing bold, you know, sharing the truth boldly um, on the internet and speaking and, you know, and kind of being in the, the heat of the battle that way. 
and keeping your So I actually sanity. wrote a book about this yeah. subject. It's called Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus. It's an Amazon bestseller. You can buy it literally anywhere. Uh, but I will tell you the very abridged version of my college experience. Basically, I was pre-med. My dream was to be a surgeon because in science, I loved the pursuit of objective truth. And I was finding inside the classroom, that's not really what science was about by the time I was in college between 2015 and 2019. And then I got my master's degree the year after that. Science was really about whatever my professor politically believed, and that's what we treated as scientific truth or canon inside of our classroom. So, for example, I was taught that it was impossible that God could have created the universe, that instead everything erupted from a single cell billions of years ago, and God creating the universe was actually a wrong choice on one of my multiple answer, multiple choice answer tests in college. Wow. You would have gotten the question wrong, and that's crazy. Uh, I spent months learning about every single tiny miracle that has to go right in the womb for a child to even be developed to nine months to be fully formed in the womb, only to be told at the end of that unit in my physiology class that abortion was a human right and was a healthcare procedure and didn't end the, uni the life of a genetically unique human being, which we had been taught four months before was exactly <laughs> what that was. And so it was almost like we were being gaslit the whole time in college. Like, this is science, this is science, but just kidding, no, it's not. And I started to realize that culturally on my college campus as well, and I decided I wanted to do something about it because statistically, it couldn't be possible that at Colorado State University, the big cowboy agricultural school just south of Wyoming, where everything was cowboy boots and country music all the time, I was the only conservative in a sea of 33,000 people. And even outside of the political realm, I was the only logically thinking, <laughs> right. rooted in objective yeah. truth person on my campus of right. 33,000 people. So I got involved in student government, and I started a turning point USA chapter on my campus just to challenge the narrative a bit and expose people to a different way of thinking, which is what college is supposed to be all about. Shocker, especially at a big public university in a state like Colorado. Almost immediately, I became public enemy number one on my college <laughs> campus, like Harry Potter, where they print all the flyers of undesirable number one, and they're all over the campus. They literally did that to me. Wow. Uh, I had death threats and threats of violence and rape coming from people I sat next to in student government or in class. I had teachers give me Fs on assignments because I didn't follow the rubric, even when I literally followed the rubric. And those things always had to get escalated, obviously, because it was really about my political affiliation. Uh, my address was doxxed to my one-bedroom apartment. And if you don't know what that means, that means posted online without my consent. So everybody knew where I lived right off campus. So all of a sudden, no place was safe. Uh, my campus wasn't safe. My house wasn't safe where I was living. I became very good friends with the CSU police department. <laughs> Shout out to everybody for keeping me safe on campus. And it was just fascinating because this was the time that Antifa was coming into the fold. The really extreme backlash that you now see every single day on college campuses had never happened before. And we were kind of ground zero in, in a state like Colorado for what that would end up looking like. Uh, and I kind of freaked out at the beginning. I went home and I cried for weeks the first time somebody mm. ever called me a white supremacist because I thought, how could I have ever done something in my life to have somebody believe that I genuinely lived my life that way? Like anybody who actually knows me knows that that couldn't possibly be a reality or any other ism or obia that they could attach to you like racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia. Mm -hmm. I often got told I was anti-woman from scrawny men <laughs> Which didn't really make any sense because I thought no uterus, no opinion. But now I guess you don't need a uterus to have an opinion. It's all very complicated. <laughs> then you did need to have a uterus to have an opinion. But the rules have changed, obviously. Right, absolutely. Um, and, and I remember thinking, this isn't fair. I shouldn't be hated this much. I'm just trying to do the right thing and expose people to a different way of thinking and challenge their perspectives, which is what college is supposed to be about. And I went back to the gospel, because that is what you should always do when you're facing times of tribulation like that. And I realized we've created this image and fed a bill of goods to Americans today that Christianity and walking towards truth and sharing truth with people in a world that's rejecting truth, we've told them that should feel good all the time, that they're always going to be doing the right thing. They're basically going to be a Marvel superhero. We're going to honor them in church. They'll always have a place to sit in the front pew every Sunday morning. Everybody's going to be cheering you on. There's going to be this whole community standing there, having your back right behind you. That's a lie. And you used a very important word in the question that you just asked me. You said hated. The gospel is very clear repeatedly throughout the New Testament yeah. that when you share the truth with a world rejecting the concept of truth, which talk about ahead of its time when Jesus said that, <laughs> you will be hated. Yep. 
You'll be persecuted. You might lose your life over that. And we live in this very carefully curated, perfectly edited, structured society where I don't think we grasp that. I mean, for us, persecution is like my best friend didn't comment on my Instagram post. But there are real people living with this type of reality every single day across the world outside of the very privileged, in a very real sense of that word, society that we live in every day. And so I always get the question of how do you do it every day? How do you keep getting all the horrible Instagram DMs and keep going to protesters on college campuses that say they want to kill you and do all these things, which happens to me? Every day. I mean, this is very normal for me. I chose this lifestyle beyond yeah. college because this is what I do every day now. Uh, and I, t I like to tell people, you're not going to make a ton of friends from this. You might lose a lot of friends from this. I have several friends that just completely, you know, ended up dropping me like a dead, bad date, even though we grew up together. I had teachers not want to work with me anymore. People lose their jobs over this. I've seen people expelled from school over stuff like this, especially with the era of vaccine mandates and all of the above. But I've also never felt more at peace with myself and passionate about the work that I'm doing every day than when I lean into that. And mm -hmm. I wear that like a badge of honor. And I use that as a guidepost from the Holy Spirit, mostly, as a sign that I'm going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, if the masses were saying that they loved you and were obsessed with everything that you were saying, and if you had millions of followers and nobody ever criticized anything that you did, like a lot of the celebrities and very extreme left voices that we see every day, that should tell you you're doing everything wrong. You're living in and of this world. And our calling is to make this world a little bit more like the next. So every time somebody calls you a horrible name or gives you a horrible Instagram comment or DMs you something terrible or worse, totally wear that like a badge of honor and take it as a sign you're doing all the right things. I love it. That's great. I have a million questions from that alone. Uh, but obviously, yeah, you wrote a whole book on it, and I think it's great. And so I want people to check that out. So I want to transition in our in the last few minutes here just to talk more about you as a person, you individually. So less political things, but tell me more about like, you know, seeking excellence is all about balancing your life and pursuing excellence in all these different areas. And I imagine it's very difficult as, you know, we kind of talked about at the beginning with how busy you must be. So how do you balance kind of, you know, mental health, physical health and seeking, you know, striving to be, um, you know, wearing all these different hats and, and crushing it professionally as well? Oh my gosh, it is hard. It is it is a big challenge. And I get this question a lot because I am so busy. For example, I told you today before we started <laughs> recording, I have been recording podcasts and in meetings and back and forth between the office and my home studio since five o'clock this morning. So I'm exhausted today. Today's a great example of a day where I can't hit the gym and I would really love right. to, unfortunately, uh, but I just don't have time. And I think so much of it comes down to balance uh, and just knowing the right things come into your path for a reason at the right time. And I certainly have gone through seasons as a content creator where some days I am working 20 hours a day basically and I'm barely sleeping and I'm constantly on the road I'm living out of a suitcase I'm recording podcasts all day every day mm -hmm. or I'm making Instagram posts all day every day and that's a season where I'm expected to do something like that because for whatever reason I'm called towards action in that particular space but there's also seasons that I've gone through as a content creator where I don't have a lot going on and I really can prioritize my own personal mental health and physical health and embracing time with friends and family which is so valuable and something that I yeah. really have taken more advantage of recently uh, and ultimately it just comes down to what you need to do for you in the right time. So it looks different for everybody, but I always find time every day to go outside for a little bit. I grew up mm. in the mountains of Colorado. That's the thing that I feel most at peace with and that really recharges me the most. It's very hard to do that in the summer in Phoenix, Arizona. So now's my difficult time of the year uh, to do that. But I love spending time in nature. I love reading new books. I try to spend as much time doing that as possible and just spending a lot of time with my friends and family because that's really what life all about at the end of the day. I love it. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly, you know, what I often tell people is that you're as you're pursuing one, right? There's going to be just kind of seasons and times where you prioritize one or the other, you know, and all the, not one or the other cuz I think there's seven pillars of excellence, but you have to recognize there's going to be times where a couple of them start to fall off. The goal is to just not let them fall off forever, right? Like you're, yeah. you're not going to just like never go to the gym again, right? Or just, <laughs> you know, just like let, not My mom learn used anything. to tell me 
in high school because in high school I tried to do the same thing. Spoiler, where like I took three AP classes and was captain of the speech and debate team and was varsity track and was like doing the musical I and doing imagine. all of it at the same yeah. time. And I never slept in high school. I literally went to bed at like 3 a.m. and then would drive down to Denver to go to school every day at six. And my mom used to sit me down as a teenager and tell me, Isabel, you can have it all, but not at the same time. Yep. And I used to tell her, that's a load of crap, mom. I can totally have it all at the You've same time, but you really sense. can't. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes things are going to get more of a priority in your life over others. But ultimately, excellence is about having that sense of balance. Uh, you're never going to be the fastest or the most athletic or the most nutritious or the best speaker or the best social media influencer of all time. So having balance between all of those different seven pillars of excellence is so, so important to just remain happy and healthy and well-rooted in who you are. I love it. That's so good. That's so good. And um, what would you say are like your top your top thing that you're like most grateful for? Like what's, what's like the best thing in your lifestyle right now? And what do you think is, is something you'd like to work on changing? Ooh. Most difficult thing. Ooh, <laughs> those are two very good questions. Um, I'd say professionally, I'm really kind of hitting my stride right now. I'm working on a ton of different things behind the scenes that I haven't officially announced yet, but are very much the culmination of several years of extremely hard work uh, and dedication and consistency. So I'm yeah. really excited to share all of that with you guys soon. So professionally, I am like on top of the freaking world right now, which is good. Um, personally, I would love to spend more time being, you know, intentional about the gym and the things <laughs> that I eat all day, every day. I'm usually really, really good at that. And I've just been so busy throughout mm -hmm. the summer of traveling to conferences and being on the road and on a lot of airplanes. And so that's something that's really important to me and definitely something I, I would like to see more time for. So that's something I'm working on. I love it. That's awesome. That's so good. And what do you think is the, what's the future of Isabel Brown? Where do you see yourself kind of personally, Ooh. professionally, you know, 5, 10, 20 years from now? Also a common question that I get that sadly I don't have a perfectly scripted answer sure. for because the world that I live in changes every single day. Like this concept of having this type of a conversation didn't even exist five years ago and it's going to change so significantly five years from now. Uh, so I hope every day that I'll still be able to keep getting up and telling the truth. I very much would love to get married and have a family. That's way more important to me than any professional goal that I have and ultimately I think is my calling in life beyond what I do professionally, but would love to continue making content full time and exploring some beautiful places and getting up and telling the truth to people. That sounds like a pretty good life. <laughs> that's, Amen. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty hard to beat. Have you had any great, uh, I, I try to do these like kind of rapid fire questions here at the end. Have you, what in like the last year or so, um, any great like new podcasts you've discovered or great books that you've read? Oh, that's so hard. I loved Where the Crawdads Sing, which is such the like typical answer for a girl right now <laughs> because the movie just came out. But it was a fascinating book and I really loved it. Jordan Peterson wrote a sequel to his 12 Rules mm -hmm. for Life called Beyond Order, which was so incredible. And ultimately, talk about somebody who's been ordained to bring order to a world in chaos. I think he is so, so brilliant. Uh, and is very specially set aside to bring people towards truth, which is really important. Uh, podcasts, I don't have a lot of time to listen to, sure. unfortunately, but I am seeing a lot of exciting stuff happening in a cultural space outside of the political world that I work in every day. You know, very secular, typically frat boy type podcasts like the Nelk Boys and Logan Paul and all of those are having really interesting conversations yeah. that are pausing people for a minute in society and letting us think, hang on a second, about so many of these topics that I talk about every single day from a cultural and secular, not political worldview. And I think that's so interesting. And I'm excited to see what the future of that content looks like. That is really cool. Yeah, it's been amazing seeing them, you know, like interview like the Ben Shapiro's and different people out the world. It's pretty mind-blowing. It's really interesting. Yeah. And even even non-political people, I mean, they're talking to huge musicians and MMA fighters and all kinds of people. And the conversations that they're having are so important to the cultural identity of America right now. And ultimately, I think are going to be so much more impactful than the stuff I get to do every day because it's not coming from your average political commentator and podcast host. It's coming from a completely different vantage point. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously... Uh, you know, what's I think extremely impressive There's many things that are impressive about you. But one one of the things that's most impressive about you is you're very knowledgeable on a wide range of topics. Um, and, you know, I've seen myself, I kind of had a conservative conversion, if you will, mainly in like 2019. 
Um, and one thing that I discovered after that was, wow, there's a lot of shit to learn. You know what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff out there that I don't there's know anything about. There's always stuff to learn. You know? Yeah, it doesn't go away, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would you say, what's kind of your advice to somebody who might be young, Gen Z or millennial that's, you know, wanting to learn more, trying to get started kind of in this like political realm? Like how do you, how do you begin that journey? Right now, you are at such an advantage compared to so many of the people that you listen to on podcasts or follow on social media because there's so many resources available to mm. you that did not exist when we were your age. And so I think that's awesome because you already have a leg up on where we were at the same point. I would really suggest turning off traditional media. Don't watch the news. Don't read the newspaper. Stop getting alerts on Twitter from CNN. Not that I need to tell you that because no Gen Zer is on Twitter, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, but be intentional about finding these independent voices, independent content creators who are making content based on their vantage point and their worldview, because you know that it may come with a bit of a bias. That's who they are and what their perspective is. But when you listen to several different people and you intentionally follow people with different worldviews, you then can be multiply educated from all of those different perspectives and vantage points to make your own conclusions about things. I go out of my way to follow outspoken accounts and people on both the extreme left and the extreme right and everywhere mm. in between so that I can figure out how I feel about an issue and understand where everybody is coming from. I am a speech and debate kid at heart. I was captain of the speech and debate team in high school. That was my favorite thing that I did. And so I was always taught I had to prepare for both sides, right? You never know what you're going to have to argue until you get into a competition round. And when you take the time to really intimately understand what every side of an argument is advocating for, that's when you're able to discover truth for yourself far more than if you only follow people that you agree with or you only listen listen to one news station or you only listen to one podcast. So try to get out there. There's a wealth of knowledge to consume and so many resources that make it easy, like bullet point lists and little five minute videos and stuff like that. If you ever have a specific question, you can always feel free to send me a direct message on social media and I'm really responsive there. But there is no shortage of opportunity for learning and tons of resources out there for you. Absolutely. That's great. All right. And last question. I've never asked anybody this before, but I feel like I want to ask you this because I just talked about how hated you are. Um, but how, <laughs> how can we, you know, we have a, we have a general prayerful audience. So how can we pray for Isabel Brown? Do you have any prayer oh, requests? Oh, you guys are so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, just generally prayers of, of protection for all this stuff. It is really sad that I have to live in a world to think about that all the time, but I often travel alone. Uh, I'm often on the road by myself in hotel rooms or airports or, you know, wherever. Mm -hmm. And so always appreciate prayers for that stuff because I'm not quite at the point in my career to warrant security, but there are definitely people who keep tabs on me and stuff like that. So always appreciative of that. Uh, and just generally helping to keep me accountable and keep me rooted in truth and continuing to spread the good news to people everywhere. If I start to get sidetracked, I want to know that from you guys. So appreciate That's right. all of that as well. I love it. So kind of like three S's, security, sanctity. And your spouse, because you mentioned that earlier too. You're trying to get, yes, indeed. We're trying to get married and start a family. We're trying to raise these holy families. So that's great. So we're praying for those three things. Isabel, this was as fun as I hoped it would be. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It was really great. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, and I'll obviously be linking everything to Isabel's books and her social media and all the places you can find her after this. But we want to encourage you as always to fight hard to be your best. God bless you.